Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup for August 31st, 2022. This is our long-awaited 200th episode of our Midweek Roundup that began back in 2018. Uh, over four years ago, we began this journey with our live chats on Wednesday afternoons, Eastern Time. Uh, and now, four years later, we're still going strong and we're grateful to all those that have been part of that journey over the last four years, uh, whether you've been catching us live on Facebook for the first three or four years, uh, or recently when we've added in a restream uh, to allow us to simulcast across Twitter, LinkedIn, our YouTube channel, and uh, our Facebook page, of course for our midweek roundup. So we're glad that you're a part of the journey. I've had so many people comment over the last couple of months uh, related to the roundup that they say really appreciate the live chats. Can't always catch them live, but I watch them on repeat or I, I download the podcast, I subscribe to the podcast and really excited to, to share uh, this 200th episode with you today. And we've got some great questions that uh, we'll be getting to today that really typify where we are, uh, not only in uh, international education in the United States and around the world today, but also uh, time of year. Uh, we're going to be talking about orientation as uh, one of those perennial issues that uh, always uh, bewitches uh, international offices and how do you make the most from this international student orientation time. So let's get right into it. As we do each week, friends, uh, we take our news stories from our newsletter that comes out on Mondays, on Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And you can either get to that directly from our website. Uh, you can subscribe to that if you're not already uh, getting that on your in, in your inboxes on Monday mornings. Uh, you can subscribe through that button. I'm going to drop the link to the most recent edition of the newsletter that will be from that newsletter. We'll be covering the, some of the stories in that uh, as we get to the questions that we have. You, if you prefer LinkedIn as the way to get your news, uh, we also have a newsletter, uh, LinkedIn version of our newsletter that you can subscribe to and also get that Monday mornings uh, in your inbox. So whichever way you choose, we appreciate you subscribing and then obviously watching the live shows or uh, watching on repeat or subscribing to the podcast version, the audio-only podcast version. So thanks again for being a part of this journey. So let's get right into our questions of the week. First up, should U.S. universities give up on China? Now, this is a question that uh, for, for anyone who's, uh, who knows me and or who has been in international education for more than a minute, uh, giving up on your number one source of students is a fool's errand. Uh, you do that and you're shooting yourself in the foot, whatever other, um, whatever other uh, metaphor you'd like to use, it's not the smartest uh, idea out there in terms of um, seeing you know, the last 10 years, uh, seeing a or probably seven years, seeing a decrease in the number of, uh, of Chinese students coming to the United States. Uh, there was just a natural bubble there that we saw, but also more, more markets opening up for Chinese students on the outbound side. You've also seen um, some political issues, frankly, that in the previous administration that soured relations even further uh, that have not entirely been corrected in this, in this particular administration or addressed. Uh, you see uh, issues like Taiwan flaring up and how, how that has impacted relations or continues to impact relations. Uh, for the first time ever, we, uh, I had this experience with a, 
uh, a training for, for agents where uh, we provided a top 10 list or a top five list of the countries uh, that uh, we had at uh, our particular institution. And they, uh, one of those countries was Taiwan. And the agent stopped us after the session uh, while we were still recording and said, hey, uh, just want to let you know this isn't going to play well for our mainland China market uh, because particularly parents see this or uh, our agents see this. They, agents were commenting to her that back channel that this was uh, insulting. Uh, so th the issue of Taiwan is very significant and how you present uh, yourself to the Chinese market is obviously uh, mainland and elsewhere is a, is a particular concern. So how you recruit, where you recruit, what presence you have digitally on the ground through networks of agents or partners, all of that matters. But the question of should U.S. universities give up on China really is a, is a rhetorical one. Of course you shouldn't because uh, it is still the number one and will be for at least the next two or three years until India overtakes it. and on uh, previous uh, week's uh, news. You've, you've seen us talking here on the Roundup about the rise of India. Uh, it's always, it has always been the number two, or for the last uh, uh, 15 or so years, 16, 17 years, has always been number two. Pre prior to that, it was number one. And my guess is in the next uh, three to four years, India will surpass China in terms of overall number of students in the United States. Obviously, it's growing now, and it will take, take some time to displace China. Uh, unless uh, China suddenly rebounds dramatically. Now, whether it will or not is another story. And there's a couple of news stories that I'm sharing, both of which are from the Pi, uh, Pi News. So first one up is a, uh, China outbound expected to improve. We'll go into those details and some of those stories. And a follow-on from uh, last week's uh, Last week's uh, news where we shared U.S. issues fewer China visas as interest declines. There's another, uh, another t twist in that story, which we'll get to in a second. And I want to cover both of those as we go through and actually dig into this question on China. It's a very complex country. Uh, it is not a monolithic one, unless you talk about issues like Taiwan. Uh, but you certainly uh, will find uh, in China that it is uh, beyond the, 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 the tier one cities of Beijing, Shanghai, Shenyang, uh, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, you will find uh, uh, that tier two, tier three, tier four cities. There's a great diversity in terms of where students are looking. Uh, in terms of uh, how open they are to colleges or universities that aren't necessarily named schools, because those typically are the main drivers in the major cities. But uh, for those uh, tier two and three cities, there's more willingness to be open uh, to, those, uh, to those other institutions that aren't top-ranked schools. Uh, but we also see uh, this uh, first article on China outbound expected to improve. There's a couple of uh, quotes in here that I think are, are very, very useful. Uh, one, of, uh, one, of the, one of the centerpieces of this story is a report that Sonorbis did with BOSA. Uh, BOSA, if you don't know, that's the uh, agent association in China, the largest agent association there. And it shares that um, there is uh, the study abroad service industry is a quote from this uh, from this uh, uh, article uh, from the Pi News and from the report. China's stud study abroad service industry will also continue to recover as we believe it has reached the bottom of its two and a half year decline and is steadily rising again. And that's from John Santangelo of Bosa, 
uh, when he uh, was interviewed by the Pi News. Uh, but what are the anxieties that uh, the Chinese market has? Uh, they've obviously been in uh, their own bubble, so to speak, for the last two and a half years because of the pandemic. They're now starting to emerge. We're seeing stories in the news this week of uh, China opening back up to international students uh, in small chunks and uh, students have to get their universities permissions first before the, the, uh, the, the government will issue visas to, to re-enter. Uh, but so that's that's picking up slowly, and we'll see how well that uh, rebound happens on the inbound side. But on the outbound side, you're seeing now two and a half years of uh, a large group of Chinese students that have basically been doing online courses, uh, whether they decided to uh, start their studies remotely in Australia, UK. Many were able to get out and go to the UK because the UK has been booming uh, with uh, their inbound Chinese population recently and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future, it looks like. But you see now that uh, some of the concerns and anxieties uh, for among Chinese outbound students are um, related to safety. And uh, the report actually shares that safety is now the number one concern that many students have, followed closely by cost of living and academic performance. So those from this most recent report by Bosa and Sonorbis reflect some changing in the dynamics where it's no longer rankings being the top um, top uh, factor that is or concern that is affecting where students uh, will go. So there's some, there's some movement in the Chinese market in terms of what those priorities are. And these anxieties, uh, as the report says, they develop according to situations outside of most HEIs, higher education institutions control, and will shift in nuance between destination countries and institutions, which is why it's so important to consistently engage with your own perspective and current Chinese students, along with news and industry insights, he explained. So I love that because the it, it points to a couple of couple of factors that really speak to not just China, but any country market that you're you're developing in or potentially seeing some movement in uh, that you're trying to identify what's going on on the ground. Talking to your current students, they have some pretty good insights. They probably just come in uh, or recently come in and still have friends back home that are, are going through some of the changes, maybe can give you insight. They're on WeChat and the other social platforms that are uh, China-specific that will have be able to give you a feel for what's happening. Uh, having someone uh, either as a student worker or a GA in your international office I think is absolutely essential from China or from that is Mandarin speaking is, is critical. Having that kind of finger on the pulse is important and you get that from a number of reasons, a number of places, but from your current students that's going to be particularly important. But also talking to your partners in country uh, because right now there still aren't recruitment trips that are going to be successful going to China because you still have quarantine. Uh, even though they've reduced the amount of time, you still have to be on your own dime for a week or more uh, before you can actually do any recruiting. And then who knows, moving around China, what the, what the challenges you'll face will be. But I, I see what this what is really important here is, is is keeping abreast of what's going on, having current student feedback, having industry insights, having partner insights on the ground that can really feed. That's regardless of what market you're talking about, but particularly in China, because none of us are able to go there physically and be there on the ground and have the conversations in person. You're relying on what you're getting from your partners on the ground, from your students, uh, from your agents, whatever it might be, parents. All of that is important. So I think what you now need to realize with China, uh, and I think one of the um, one of the pieces here uh, that we see, even though uh, someone has uh, from this. Uh, 
as referenced in this article uh, from Bonnard, uh, shows that almost 100 percent uh, their research, uh, almost 100 percent of agencies are in fact promoting higher ed related programs, uh, whereas others like K through 12, English language and summer courses are not being promoted. So uh, higher ed is definitely back on the agenda for Chinese agencies. Uh, but we're seeing, and um, one of the people from Bonnard has, has made the case that uh, markets can bounce back faster if uh, the institutions are well equipped, well uh, engaged with the local markets, uh, and it's something that I think is uh, definitely needs to be uh, kept uh, at the forefront of your mind as you hopefully stay engaged with China and not retreat. Uh, for some institutions that are try maybe already have strong uh, Chinese populations without really trying, you maybe don't feel as much urgency. But uh, I know a particular institution I'm working with, there's, there's, there is, we're developing programs uh, internationally uh, in terms of recruitment and uh, being really structured about how we go about it. And uh, we've been, well, we've been told that, that we're going to pause anything in, uh, heavy in China because. Um, because of some, because of some kind of feelings that the market not, might not be uh, bouncing back. But uh, I think what what comes from my lesson learned from this experience in terms of uh, hearing what's going on in China, hearing uh, what's happening on the industry insights is that it is coming back. It's not maybe not going to be nearly the peak that we had in 2014, 2015, but. Uh, what I think uh, one of the commenters said, the outbound market, like the inbound market, will recover, but not overnight. Uh, what is most, more important, however, is how educators and agencies fully maximize the opportunity and how willing uh, to engage uh, and, how, uh, and commit resources to, uh, to engaging in China and staying ever-present or getting, establishing a presence in the minds of the Chinese. Uh, market. Uh, so that's the first uh, Pi News article. The second one, U.S. issues fewer visas as interest declines, uh, picks up on the 50% less uh, visas issued this in 2021 as opposed to uh, in, tw in 2021 for versus pre-pandemic. Uh, that uh, we're seeing a decrease in number of students, new students coming to Ch from China to the United States, from mostly uh, pandemic and political uh, motivations there or reasons why simply haven't been able to travel. Uh, one of the other comments here in this article was uh, that um, one of the factors that will impact for U.S. market in particular. Uh, in terms of whether uh, whether it will bounce, China will bounce back as a market for them. It says it depends on whether U.S. educators are willing to make more effort and investment in the China market. So, if your institution is pulling back or considering not investing when you don't already have a presence, then you're not going to see obviously a bounce back because uh, you're basically detaching yourself, uh, your institution from that market in terms of an actual physical, uh, either digital or physical presence, obviously not being there for yourselves, but having the partner network in country that can really represent you. And the digital piece is key. Uh, when you're not doing that, you're really missing out on how that market communicates. Uh, and how they get information. So uh, that's that's really one of the, the, the factors within China that I, I think more uh, U.S. colleges uh, need uh, to certainly pay attention to. 
uh, one way that U.S. institutions can solve a problem uh, like China. I uh, will talk about the problem like orientation in a bit. But when it comes to solving a problem like China uh, and how you communicate with, uh, with your prospective student audiences is how, how well you leverage your current student audiences. And here I'm talking about having, um, and the, uh, the next article is from Intet. Uh, they've uh, done some uh, uh, research work on uh, student handbooks uh, that have been produced by on-campus Chinese student associations that uh, operated either as part of the university or with the endorsement of the university. Some are entirely independent. Uh, that have more create more create have maybe a more creative side, uh, that uh, more jokes and anecdotes, but these are all uh, uh, handbooks that were published in Chinese and made available to uh, to students, uh, prospective students that are in, in coming to the university. Uh, this has been done at Penn State, Vanderbilt, UT Austin, uh, UC San Diego, University of Maryland, and Stanford. So the six examples that, uh, or six institutions that the Inted team reviewed. So those are very practical examples that make sense uh, that working with your Chinese Student Association to help develop that kind of a resource. Because what is that? If it's produced by the Chinese students on campus, it's going to have a level of authenticity and authority for prospective student audiences that you're not able to deliver yourself as the international office. Uh, because it's uh, direct from your students and the students give you that authenticity and it's, it's, it's a, a, a more particular and precise way to present the message that you, you, you want to be delivered to your uh, prospective student audiences in markets where you, where you are struggling to get a grip or struggling to make an impact. When you can leverage your on-campus resources in the form of your student organizations, form, in the form of your current students who can do something in language prepared for prospective students who are on, on their way in, that's going to turn, turn, your, turn your boat around very quickly in terms of making an impact, making a direct um, impression on your prospective audiences, not just of your students that are uh, in, the, in the mix or in the pipeline for enrollment, but for their parents especially. When we're talking about uh, where the, the real struggles have come is with the undergraduate market in recent years. Those numbers have, have dropped significantly. There's no, on, no denying that. And part of that is parents have gotten uh, aren't, aren't as comfortable sending their sons and daughters here. And that safety issue, as the previous articles mentioned, that's, that's the now the number one fees, uh, number one concern or anxiety that they have. So how do your current Chinese students address that issue and have them tell that story and address that particular, particular piece that really makes sense? Uh, really has value to prospective audiences. So that's that's a real a real uh, I think uh, important insight into the into the into the Chinese market that institutions in the United States really need to get a hold of, and, and is how well you're leveraging your your current assets on campus to reach your future student audiences in China. So hopefully that gives a little help on that front. Uh, the second question of the day is uh, one that we talk about uh, infrequently, but every once in a while we do uh, mention uh, the uh, the power uh, of uh, of 
soft power in international education. Uh, we've talked about that in reference mostly uh, to what China's been doing over the last few years with their Belt and Road Initiative. That has been clearly a soft power uh, initiative that is designed to help grow China's influence in the world uh, through uh, financial relationships uh, with uh, and transportation and educational relationships that they've built throughout the developing world uh, in South and East Asia, in Africa, and even into some parts of Europe. You've seen those uh, efforts uh, see and have borne fruit with China now becoming a major destination for international students, not just a, uh, the top sender to, uh, to outside of their home country. Uh, they are now the number, probably slipped down a bit, probably number four or five or maybe six now uh, post-pandemic, but uh, they're hoping to rebound. But they have made considerable efforts to become this, to improve their soft power and, and more probably political economic, um, maybe uh, there's an educational component to it, but probably more political and economic. But we talk about soft power in the United States uh, in a number of different ways. Uh, if you remember, uh, the State Department, uh, their mission is public diplomacy. That's their main goal, is to uh, provide uh, uh, those that come to the United States, uh, a positive experience, hopefully, on their campuses that they attend, in the communities that they live, and take those positive experiences about the United States back to their home countries where they become leaders in business, in medicine, in uh, engineering, in law, whatever it might be, and in their, in their political systems back home. And that's where we get to uh, that kind of public diplomacy, uh, where in the, U in the State Department they used to call it foreign students today, world leaders tomorrow. Uh, they had a, back when I was working with Education USA in the noughties, we had uh, a publishable list, uh, PDF at the time, of world leaders who had uh, spent part of their education in the United States. Now, uh, what's the state of play today? Uh, it's not just the U.S. that has uh, had this reputation of, of doing this. The U.K., other Western nations have uh, prided themselves on uh, delivering, uh, uh, having students who come to, the, to their country, study at their institutions, and return home have uh, become de have developed uh, better working relationships and more positive relationships with the, with our, their country uh, as a result of the, their educational experiences in in their nation. So uh, there has been for since 2017 kind of a ranking, if you will, of uh, countries and their soft power uh, index uh, that HEPI in the UK has developed since 2017 that ranks uh, countries by the number of world leaders, current world leaders, that have been educated in countries other than their own. And at that time, and there's a Times Higher Ed story that I've dropped the link to in the chat uh, on the Facebook page and YouTube channel, and we'll be dropping that. So you can either get that from the newsletter links that I posted earlier in the chat, uh, or uh, I'll be adding those into our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds a little bit later on this afternoon. So in terms of what you can do, uh, in, t in terms of understanding the soft power, what this HEPI list does share, uh, in the first year of that index, uh, there were more world leaders who had been educated in the UK than any other country. Uh, but since that time, uh, the U.S. has over overtaken the UK in 2018 and has been extending that lead since. 
so that uh, the t most recent edition for 2022 from HEPI, Higher Education Policy Institute, if that's if you're wondering what that acronym is, uh, shows that 67% current serving leaders around the world were educated in the United States, up two on last year, up 10 since 2017. In contrast, the U.S. educated, the U.K. educated 55, down two on last year, and down three since 2017. So uh, the UK has fallen behind. Other world, lead other world leaders have uh, studied in numbers uh, in France. That's in number three, third position uh, at 31. Uh, so considerable distance behind uh, the US, more than 50% uh, less. And uh, then Russia, uh, interestingly, at 10. 10 current world leaders have spent time in, uh, in their higher education in Russia. Australia and Switzerland both have seven. Uh, Canada and Germany six, and Italy and South Africa five. So an interesting range of this, and uh, that soft power index. What does that mean? I think it's it's just a it's more of a prestige thing, I think, than anything else. Uh, but it's something that, as international educators in the United States, uh, maybe this is one of the re one of the things that when we talk about perspective. Uh, for those that have been working with me and have been watching our 6P series uh, that we, we did uh, in the last couple of years, uh, that, that first P of the 6Ps of Strategic International Enrollment Management is perspective, right? And the perspective we're talking about here as it relates to soft power is having that global perspective of not only where the U.S. stands in relation to its peers for recruiting international students, we always uh, encourage institutions when we talk about having a global perspective to know what the competition is doing and know that your competition isn't just your domestic rivals for, for applications, it's often other countries, universities and colleges that are your rivals for international student applications. So that's one part of perspective. The other is an internal perspective. But when I talk about perspective to institutions about this means how this also affects how you should be marketing your institution not just focusing on how you're better than your domestic peers and which really doesn't necessarily matter to international students but how um, first not just talking about your own institutional qualities and why you should come here um, but also uh, focusing more on why you should study in the United States. And part of that reason is uh, the, uh, the campus experience that uh, students get in the United States that they typically can't get anywhere else in the world uh, or don't get as, as well as they do in the rest of the world. The global quality of institutions that we have in the United States, but looking at national ranking, international rankings and all of that. Uh, but then also looking at something like this, the soft power index, and realizing that more world leaders are educated here in the United States than anywhere else in the world. Having that as a what you can say, part of your message to a prospective student should be why the United States, not just why your university, but why the United States. You can go into OPT, STEM OPT. You can go into campus experience. You can go into quality. You can go into world leaders studying in the United States. All of that should be part of the messaging that you have to your prospective student audiences. So it's not all about just you. It's recognizing the U.S. as a destination first, then your institution, and why it is, should be a destination of choice for students around, from around the world. So that's, I think, what I think soft power can mean uh, in relation to how we use it and talk about it uh, with prospective student audiences. So ho hopefully that, uh, some, some of that resonates with you now. Uh, but when I talk about international students, I really find uh, one of the most challenging parts of the equation uh, is, is that time during 
that we're in right now. Uh, many, many colleges have just started uh, their fall terms. Uh, we've seen uh, some, some colleges have been in session for a week or two, but this time of year is arrival day, is orientation. Uh, it is the first week of school. And that time, for anyone who's been in international admissions, uh, an orient orientation is really what you live for every year because it's seeing the fruits of your labor over the last 12 months or longer in some cases of working with students from around the world who have been have flown around from thousands of miles for a day or more in, in many cases to get to your campus and now you, they're finally there. You see them on campus, they're exhausted, but they're also so excited, uh, nervous excitement. Their, their adrenaline is what's keeping them awake uh, because of the travel that they've had. But they're just so excited to finally be on campus. And the question we're asking here is how do we solve a problem like orientation? And the, it's a twofold question and two-part question here is it's not just figuring out how you manage that orientation program itself, but what you do with it, not just during that time before classes begin, but after orientation as well. Because that's one of the, the biggest concern any college uh, or international admissions, international student orientation person has had uh, over the years. They'll tell you first, first thing more than anything else that they, the, the biggest drawback to the way international orientations have been done is information overload because you try and cram in so much information in a short amount of time before, uh, right after those students get on campus that they're not really processing at all. Maybe getting 30, 40% if you're lucky of what you're telling them. And you hope they're getting the immigration regulations, the academic policies, and the, and the health insurance information. Those three things are probably the most vital pieces of uh, what they need to know that help keep them in status, that help keep them safe, that help keep them uh, academically on the up and up in their first semester on your campus. So those are the things that I think you, you can control and should obviously focus on during orientation. But what you do after that, uh, or shortly after that. Uh, there's really been a movement in recent months and years to extend orientation for at least the first semester, if not the first year that uh, your students are on campus that have a, a zero credit or one credit class that your international students must register for to keep them engaged, to talk about practical training, to talk about work, student work employment, to talk about uh, tr benefits of being an international student, to talk about uh, programming that you do, to talk about student associations and all the other wonderful things that your campus does for international students, to talk about DEI, what that means in the United States, to t tackle issues of racism, of academic dishonesty, uh, of other fact, other kind of key issues that happen uh, during uh, during their time on campus that they need to be familiar with. So ongoing orientations is really something. And there's two articles that I'll be sharing with you to, to kind of help uh, paint the picture a little bit bigger, brighter. Uh, one of them is uh, from uh, ASU. Uh, they've, as I, I've talked about last week, uh, Arizona State has been doing a phenomenal job in expanding their international enrollments over the last couple of years. Uh, they're experiencing another record, uh, record group this fall. Uh, but what they've done here, and I love this, uh, at previous institutions I've worked at, we've done focus groups uh, with um, international students after they arrive, new students after they arrive, but also do uh, do interviews with them, uh, give them a set of five questions, short answer questions where they can talk about 
uh, why they chose ASU. Uh, get them video them doing this. I have them answer some short questions, uh, maybe in a survey or in a in a newspaper interview or whatever. Uh, but capturing that enthusiasm that they have, capturing them saying an answer to a question in their native language when they're all excited, they have that adrenaline and they are just wanting to share all the, the why they're so happy to be on your campus. Uh, and that's that's the moment where they're hopefully most most engaged and excited. But where you can, if you can capture that, it's like lightning in a bottle, and you can repurpose that in so many ways through video, through uh, through social media, through an email communication flow, all of these things through your website. You can capture these uh, these real important moments. Uh, there's an article that the, the ASU article is for an international student interview, talking about their experience, why they chose ASU, all the wonderful questions that you want to ask. But they're now hopefully leveraging that in future uh, student communications. So that's that's really important. Uh, the other piece about supporting institutions beyond orientation week is actually coming from the conversation and it references uh, doing more after orientation to engage international students with their domestic peers and it suggests a variety of really uh, useful and uh, creative ways to uh, make those make those points of engagement possible. Uh, through social interactions, through uh, safe digital spaces, all of these other things. Uh, so, uh, well worth a read to just get a sense of what we're talking about there. So a lot of a uh, lot more to, to say about the orientation issues, but uh, our time is at an end for our 200th episode. And again, once uh, I can't say it enough, but uh, this Roundup would not exist without the folks from around the world that have uh, you listening in live, that uh, you that are uh, watch us on repeat or download the podcast or subscribe. Uh, we're, we're just so grateful for you being a part of our journey here and for uh, finding value in what we're doing. So thanks again for being a part of that ride. And we really look forward to uh, seeing you at an upcoming conference on the road for uh, for travel uh, or online in cyberspace. So thanks again for being here and have a do have a wonderful rest of your week. Cheers.